Hello, friends. It's April 21st, and this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I hope you're looking forward to reading through God's Word with us today and that the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast is encouraging you to take in the entire landscape of God's self-revelation in Scripture. My name is David McAdam, your host and tour guide. We will be hearing Joshua speak to the leaders of Israel today, and we will visit the temple courts once again where the priests, scribes, and Pharisees are testing Jesus as the nation of Israel are preparing to celebrate the Passover. Little do they know that before them is the spotless Passover Lamb of God, and as much as they may try, they cannot find any fault in him. So let's go to the book of Joshua. Once again, we're closing in on the end of the book, and Joshua is giving his last words. Joshua chapter 22, we're picking up with verse 21. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, The mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows, and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, Let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, You have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, If this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. When Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the chiefs, returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel, and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar Witness, for, they said, It is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Chapter 23, Joshua's Charge to Israel's Leaders A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, 
Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods, and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament book of Joshua. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we've just read. Joshua lives to be 110 years old. His last words consist of a challenge to the leaders in chapter 23 and a renewal of the covenant before all the tribes of Israel at Shechem in chapter 24. First, Joshua calls the leaders to remember what they have seen and heard. He exhorts them to stay faithful to God, drive out the enemy, and fully possess their allotted inheritance. He reminds them that God had been faithful to give them what he had promised to the degree that they were ready to follow his instructions to drive out the enemy. However, there was still land to be possessed. A failure to drive out the enemy would create many problems for generations to come. The Lord knows what He has allotted to us. We might prematurely think that our work is done. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We must maintain close fellowship with Him, or we will be deceived and fall short of fulfilling His choice purposes for our lives. We do not want to be distracted from fulfilling His will of command. Therefore, in the light of Christ being the fulfillment of the law, we need to take Joshua's words to heart. Be very strong 
Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or the left. Joshua chapter 23, verse 6. God's grace is evident in the way His sovereign purpose is achieved even if we are unfaithful to His choice purposes. However, our disobedience will grieve the Holy Spirit and bring forth damaging consequences. Joshua strongly warns the leaders to maintain pure devotion to the Lord and not to mix with the corrupted nations that remain among them. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. Joshua 23, verse 7. We would do well to remember the great deliverance we have already experienced because the Lord has been fighting for us. Joshua 23, verses 9 through 10. The Apostle Paul echoes this thought in the New Testament. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10-11 through 11. Let us pray that we will not stop short of fulfilling God's choice purposes for our lives in thoroughly driving out the enemy and possessing our inheritance in Christ. Let us pray for our brothers and sisters that they will press on in obedience to the Great Commission, trusting that the Lord will go with them to win each battle according to His promise. Joshua points out the danger of making friends with those who are not faithful to the Lord. He warns them, saying, But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Joshua tells it like it is. There are relationships that will become, number one, snares. Like a bird trap, you are naively attracted and caught unawares. You are enmeshed in a corrupting relationship. Number two, traps. Your attitude changes. Your resistance to error and evil weakens. You are in a bondage from which you cannot break free. Number three, whips on your back. Controlling, manipulating, driving, oppressing, abusing, and scourging. Number four, thorns in your eyes. They wound and blind. You don't see the branch coming at you until it hits you. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Joshua had a strong influence among his contemporary peers and used it for good. Sadly, the baton of godly leadership does not get passed to the next generation. In Judges chapter 2, verse 6, we read, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord has done for Israel. But we read just three verses later in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. We can learn from this. While Moses was faithfully grooming Joshua for leadership, Joshua did not bring anyone alongside who would be learning from his example. Contrast Joshua's exhortations with those of the Apostle Paul. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. 2 Timothy 2, 
verses 1 through 2. Joshua exhorts the Israelites to love the Lord and love his word. Temptations were in their backyard. Those living nearby had snares, traps, whips, and thorns designed to destroy them. G. Campbell Morgan writes, quote, To cease to discipline the life is to cool in devotion. End quote. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, explains, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Jude chapter 1 verses 20 to 21. Joshua concludes by reminding the people that God's promises are trustworthy. The promises contain good words, blessings for the obedient, and words that warn of judgment, punishment upon the disobedient. When we remember the faithfulness of the Lord to what He has promised, let us take comfort in the promised reward to the one who fulfills the law on our behalf and be sobered by the reality of promised judgment upon those who reject His word. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 18, He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now let's move ahead about 1,400 years to the time of Christ, and we go to the temple courts where Jesus once again is being examined by the chief elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, and Sadducees. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 20, beginning with verse 27. The Sadducees ask about the resurrection. Verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die any more, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him any question. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. 
And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel according to Luke. What we see here is that the Pharisees are joining Jesus' inquisitors. The Sadducees only honored the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. Remember? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Because there was no explicit mention of a bodily resurrection of the dead in those books, they refused to believe in the resurrection and made light of the afterlife, as is evident in their hypothesis, one bride for seven brothers. In their past debates with the Pharisees, who believed in the resurrection, the Sadducees would ask this question for which they had yet to receive a satisfactory answer. Now they took the question to Jesus. If a man's brother dies without a child, according to the law of a leveret marriage in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5-10, through 10, a single brother is to marry the widow. If he dies, and the woman has yet to conceive a child and raise up an heir, he is to marry the next brother. What if one by one the brothers die, leaving her a childless widow? By this time, one should be suspicious. When she dies... Which one of the seven brothers will be her husband in the resurrection? The assumptions of the Sadducees demonstrated that they limited the power of God and did not know the Scriptures well enough to discern truths about the resurrection. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus corrects the Sadducees' theology by pointing out evidence of the resurrection from the Pentateuch. The Sadducees did not believe in angels, spirits, or the resurrection of the dead in Acts chapter 23, verse 8. In his reply, Jesus refers to the real existence of all of these. Jesus answers first by informing them that those who are considered worthy of being resurrected and participating in the future kingdom age, in a similar manner to the angels, have bodies that die no more. Neither do they marry, nor are they given in marriage. Therefore, the question is irrelevant. Luke chapter 20, verses 34 through 36. Jesus refers to a book of the Bible the Sadducees professed to believe in, the book of Exodus. He reminds them of the incident in which the Lord calls Moses from the burning bush, saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus affirms that the one who called Moses is not the God of the dead, but of the living, inferring that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at that time were living unto him. There must be in existence a real world for the departed, or Moses would not have written these words. And the promises given to these patriarchs are not going to be fully experienced in their disembodied spirits. The promises anticipate their bodily resurrection. Once the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the power of God and the Scriptures, we can recognize the testimony of Jesus in many Old Testament accounts. We can see the resurrection prefigured in Aaron's rod that budded, incidents that take place on the third day, and Abraham receiving his son, as it were, back from the dead. Resurrection is a demonstration of the power of God. It is not a reconstruction or a resuscitation of the old body, but it is the miraculous granting of a new body that has continuity with the old body. Yet that new body bears a difference, even as the planted seed has one body and its fruit and its flower another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35-50, to 50, When Jesus rose from the dead, He had a body that was similar yet different from the body that suffered death. This resurrection body would die no more. This body was a new creation. Jesus was recognized by those who knew Him, yet He could walk through closed doors, change His appearance, and vanish suddenly. At this point, 
Luke tells us that Jesus' examiners no longer had the courage to ask him more questions. Luke chapter 20, verse 40. But Jesus did not let them off the hook. He asked them the all-important question. Matthew records it this way. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Matthew 22, verse 42. Luke picks up the conversation here. How is it that they say the Christ is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? What do you think about the Christ? Jesus makes it clear that the Messiah is more than the son of David, for then David would not call his offspring Lord. The only explanation is that the Christ is both man and God. As the eternal God, the Messiah is David's Lord. As a man, he is David's son. When Jesus entered into the city, the people already acclaimed Jesus as the son of David. Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, Mark chapter 11, verse 10. And Jesus did not rebuke them for giving him this messianic title. Now Jesus was making clear the nature of the Messiah as the son of God. Because the teachers were not willing to accept Jesus as the God-man, the Messiah, He said to his disciples in the hearing of all the people, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and, for a show, make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Luke chapter 20, verses 45 through 47. That's with the NIV translation. And now to the Bible songbook. We are in the middle of Psalm 89. We started this yesterday as the psalmist was singing of God's mercies and faithfulness. Now we will learn more about the Davidic covenant, God's promise for an eternal reign to come from David's seed. Reading Psalm 89 once again will be Robert Meck. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law, and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, Then I will punish their transgressions with the rod, and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love, 
or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. Psalm 89 by Ethan the Ezraite celebrates the Davidic kingship, ultimately pointing to the kingship of the greater David, Jesus Christ. We read yesterday of praise coming forth from the psalmist in verses 1-4, through 4, from the heavens in verses 5-8, through 8, and on the earth in verses 9-13. through 13. Praise also comes forth from the people of Israel in verses 14-18. through 18. They are blessed because of the redemption they have found through the holiest of all. In verse 15 we read, How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. I often think of the bells on the garments of the high priest ringing when he is moving in the holiest of all. He is alive, and therefore his offering on our behalf is good. How blessed we are to know that our Savior lives. Verses 19 through 37 refer to the Davidic covenant, but speak to us of the greater David, Jesus Christ. Now let's go to today's proverb. Proverbs 13, verses 17 through 19. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. The writer of Proverbs reminds us of the importance of being faithful and reliable as Christ's disciples. Proverbs 13, verse 17. Discipleship involves discipline. Discipline in being faithful to Christ brings success. Proverbs 13, verse 18. Fools do not see the good of turning away from evil, but the fulfillment of godly desire is sweet to the soul. Proverbs 13, 19. A wicked messenger falls into adversity, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Desire realized is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to turn away from evil. Let's pray. Lord, you have been faithful to all generations. We thank you for revealing your Son to us and giving us the knowledge of your glory in his perfections. We pray that you will help us establish good relationships that will spur us on to love and good works. Encourage us to help others in their pursuit of all that you are and all that you have freely given to us in Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, I encourage you to meditate upon some of the things that we've been learning today, particularly to meditate upon the sure mercies of David and the faithfulness of God to do what he has promised, particularly in the exaltation of his son, the greater son of David. We also see his faithfulness in promising to discipline those of his covenant people who walk away from his word. My prayer is that our times together will keep our minds renewed and alert to ways that we can bring glory to his name. So thanks for being with us today. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you in your journey through the scriptures. God bless you, and I hope that we can spend some time in the Word again tomorrow. You can leave questions or comments wherever you get your podcast or write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like more information about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can go to our website, newlife.org.